the scriptures to Titus chapter 1. Titus 1, last week we started our series on a gospel-shaped church, gospel-shaped church. And uh, we saw last week Paul's great call. Uh, Now the book is written to Titus, but it was written by a man, um, an apostle named Paul. But Titus, who we don't know much about or know as much as we do about Paul, Titus was a Greek Christian. He was an early church leader and uh, a friend and companion of Paul. He was actually led to faith in Christ by the Apostle Paul. And as I said last week, um, because Titus was a Gentile and not a Jew, when he got saved, he was living proof that uh, you didn't have to be a Jew to come to Christ. You didn't have to be circumcised to be saved. In Paul's journeys with Titus, they traveled to Corinth as well as an island called Crete. And that is where Paul left Titus uh, to continue to strengthen the churches that were there. And in this letter, we see that Paul had given the job to Titus for restoring order in the church. The culture there on the island of Crete was known throughout the world uh, for their treachery, their greed. The island cities were unsafe, but they were also places where there was a lot of um, there was a lot of interaction with other parts of the Mediterranean. The culture was not good; it was dangerous. But there was an influence that Paul understood that if they could reach those cities, they could reach much of the world through that island of Crete. So uh, this is where Paul began. A great work. And he's encouraging a young man named Titus. We see that Paul starts off in verse number one. If you would read there with me, he gives a description of who he is. He greets Titus. He says, Paul, speaking of himself, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We looked at last week Paul's great call. And I said there was two things that he said about himself in his great calling of God. He said, I am a servant or a slave of God, and I'm also an apostle or a messenger of Jesus. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he continues on there, according to the faith of God's elect. According to the faith of God's elect. And the knowledge or the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Father, I pray that you bless your word today. I ask that you would help me to be the servant that you've called me to be to this church. I pray that you would help us today, Lord, to not be distracted. Lord, that I, I do ask that right now that our motive for being here would solely be to bring you glory. I pray that in being here to be edified and stirred, encouraged, to serve, to minister, that all of those things, the motivation would be to bring you glory. It's not about us. It's not about what people think about us. May you, Lord, alone 
get all the credit. I pray that you would bless the message today. Lord, I pray that you would minimize any kind of distraction or any kind of thing that would uh, detract from your work. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, would have absolute sway and control in this service. I pray for each of us to be, uh, to be committed to that being done here today, that our will would be uh, in submission to you. I pray that you bless all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. We see that first phrase there after Paul's call, after he said he was a servant, after he said he was an apostle. He says, according to, to the faith of God's elect. The phrase there could also be understood according to, could be be also understood for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Now God's elect are who? The believers, right? It's not some mysterious thing to understand what that phrase means. It's the chosen uh, people of God. We are chosen to be God's Children, amen? We are his elect. He chose us. Praise God for that. And uh, there was a day where you chose him. You received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, enacted your will, and received that free gift of salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, God is calling you to be one of his. He's calling you. I believe that um, today is the day of salvation. You cannot put something off till tomorrow where God says it's supposed to be for today. Yesterday's in the past. Tomorrow's in the future. We don't have that guaranteed to us. But he says today is your day of salvation. You need to come to Jesus Christ just as you are. Not, uh, not trying to say, well, I'm going to change. I'm going to clean myself up and all of this. And you might have a desire to change. Nothing wrong with that. But the only one that can change you is Jesus. It's not our, it's not our, uh, our work. It's God's work. He is the one who works in us. And so you have to come to God, as I said, just as you are. The old song was written, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood. And it is his blood that washes and cleanses us from our sin. So we come to God uh, as his children. We come to be saved, and he chooses us, he saves us. The Bible says there that uh, according to for the sake of Paul's purpose, Paul's great call, the reason he was a servant of God, the reason that he was uh, an apostle of God, a messenger of God, was to bring the, the hope of eternal life to the lost. It was for the sake of the faith of God's elect. God's... Uh, God's purpose in Paul's life, Paul's purpose was centered around bringing people to Jesus, bringing them to faith. Remember, as I said earlier, Titus was one of those who God used Paul to touch and who God used Paul to reach. Titus was a Gentile, but he became a believer through Paul's ministry. 
And uh, God used Paul in a great way in Titus' life. Uh, Titus, uh, for Titus, this message here, this first verse, this first uh, few verse, a uh, few words in this first verse is very personal to Titus. Uh, it was for Titus' faith that Paul was a servant and an apostle. He cared about people like Titus, who many, many didn't care about the Gentiles. Many of those uh, early believers, God really had to stir them up. Paul was the same way. God had to do some things in his life and, and uh, stir his life up and get his attention. But when he got him on the road uh, to preaching the gospel and to uh, reaching into communities where he had once tried to persecute Christians, but now he goes out and he preaches the gospel, he did a great work so that he could, uh, in, in Paul's life, so he could do a great work in Titus's life. It was for our faith's sake that somebody... Uh, knocked on our door. How many of you could say, without raising your hand, you could say, praise God for somebody reaching me and knocking on my door. Somebody cared for my soul. It was for our faith's sake that someone shared the good news that Jesus saves. Like Paul, it was for the elect's sake, for their faith's sake, that he preached the gospel. Uh, it was for our faith's sake, praise the Lord, that someone gave to world missions. Uh, there, there are some that didn't get saved here in America. They got saved somewhere else because a missionary uh, knocked on their door, came to their village or their community or their city or town and preached the gospel. There are some people that uh, were in the, Ameri uh, in, in the armed forces here from the U.S., from America, and they went to Germany or they went to Japan and a ministry there to the military reached them. Somebody, somebody from America went to that foreign land and had a ministry to the U.S. military. Uh, there's several that I went to Bible college that got saved in Okinawa or in Germany because of uh, their time in the military. They got saved uh, overseas. We praise God for our faith's sake. Someone paid to have gospel tracts printed and somebody took those gospel tracts and handed them out. There are some people that get saved that have no idea, no clue, and will never know until they get to heaven who it was that left a gospel tract uh, uh, for them to read. Praise God for somebody being faithful. It was for our faith's sake that someone paid to put diesel fuel in a school bus that was rebranded as a church bus and went out into the community and, uh, and, uh, and those workers uh, reached into somebody's home and save them. It was for their sake and for our sake that somebody did that. It was for our faith's sake that somebody came to us in our time of need spiritually. So praise God for a faithful witness. You know this morning that somebody loves you. Somebody cares about you. So many people live their life thinking that nobody cares for them. Nobody loves them. But somebody loves you. And somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. Think about what Jesus did for us. What did he do for you? He endured the cross. He took our sin. Jesus took your sin. He took your punishment, my punishment. We don't deserve what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't curse those who beat him, those who whipped his back, those who uh, plucked his beard, those who put that crown of thorns upon his head. And yet, it was his choice to do that. Jesus was not helpless. He chose 
to go through that pain and that suffering because he loved us. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but he decided to lay down his life. He chose to love us. Hebrews 12, 2, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that authored it, and he's the one that finished the race. Amen? It was his idea. It was his plan. It was not just happenstance. It wasn't that he came here uh, to just... uh, partake in the human experience and to do good works and to heal people and to raise people from the dead. No, Jesus came here with a very specific purpose. That was ultimately to die on the cross, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus loved you enough to go to Calvary. Jesus went through the physical torture of a Roman crucifixion, excruciating pain and prolonged suffering. The only end to that suffering on an old uh, Roman cross was to die. That was the end of the suffering. And uh, yet victims were stripped, nailed to the cross, and they were left to die slowly under the scorching sun. Dehydration exposure. They say even at times attacks by wild animals when they would execute people on those crosses. Agony, humiliation, all of that. Jesus tasted our death. He became a sin offering for us because of love. Jesus went to Calvary to save uh, a wretch like you and me. That's the kind of love that he has for us. Jesus' suffering on the cross showed the devastating nature of sin. I was, I was just thinking, why in the world if Jesus, well, he had to shed his blood, we understand that. It's not without the shedding of blood. Uh, we, can have, uh, we can't have remission of sins without the shedding of blood, right? We understand his blood needed to be shed. But why did he have to go through all of that suffering? Why did he have to go through the agony? I believe he was portraying the awfulness of our sin. The suffering that he partook in showed the devastation of our sin, the wrath of God, how serious God looks at the transgressing of mankind, the sin of man. It depicted, that old cross depicted the cruelty also of humanity, what man can do. The awfulness of the human heart, the wickedness of the human heart, how much pain we could inflict on another human being. I think it showed that as well. It also demonstrated the hatred of Satan. At Calvary, mankind was allowed to do his worst to the Son of Man as he became the Redeemer of us, mankind. Satan thought that he had won a great victory. But it was through the cross that God and uh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus, the God-man, he was able to triumph over sin, have triumph and victory over Satan. 
at Calvary, God's wrath for our sin was poured out. We saw that. The, 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 the fact that of the suffering and the agony that Christ went through, he suffered for our sin. He bore the wrath of God in his body. God poured out the wrath stored up for our sin. Justice was satisfied. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross. For our sake, Jesus died. And think of for our sake, for our faith's sake, somebody shared the message of the gospel with us. We see that Paul there in verse number one, he was called to be an apostle. He was called to be a servant. Why? For the faith of God's elect. For our sake, but specifically the people that he was reaching in his day, all of those churches that he would go to from town to city to village, the people like Titus and the people like Timothy who were reached, and it was for their sake that he was called to be a servant. He was called to be that apostle. But also we see the next phrase there, and the acknowledging. Look at it there in verse 1. Not only was it so that people would get saved, but also the acknowledging of the truth that uh, he would have the opportunity to stir up believers in their spiritual growth. We need to uh, grow spiritually. We hear that all the time, don't we? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. How do we grow spiritually? We need the Word. We need the milk of God's Word, amen? We need truth. There's a lot of things that we could feed on in the world, but nothing replaces the word of God. Nothing even comes close to this truth. This is the truth. It is the objective truth. It doesn't change. It doesn't morph. It doesn't become something different for different people. It is God's truth. It's true today. It was true yesterday. It'll be true tomorrow. God's word endures forever. This is something very unique and special, and we need to regard it as such. See, the world has lots of different philosophies. They try a lot of different things, don't they? We have, um, <clears throat> if we want to compare it to food, as, as uh, we see in Scripture, it's the word of God. It's the milk of the word. It's also the meat and such. But there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that we could eat that are very tasty but are not good for us nutrition-wise, right? There's a lot of stuff that we probably eat every single day or if not every day, every week that are just because we like to, we enjoy the flavor of it, right? We enjoy uh, a good, some of you like a good piece of cake once in a while. You know, on your birthday, you get a good piece of cake or better yet, cheesecake, right? I mean, you enjoy a good piece of cheesecake. Uh, see, I now I got you with me. Cake was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Now we're talking your language. Um, some of you like uh, a good, which there's probably some nutritional value in this, but a good burger. So you like good burger. You can't eat burgers every day, though, okay? It's probably not good for you. Uh, or brats every day. But sometimes we get to grill out and enjoy some of those foods. Some of you like a good donut, not as many people as the cheesecake, okay? Uh, some of you like a good, um, you know, a good uh, snack once in a while. Some of you like to have, to drink coffee. Now, coffee is not 
actually really bad for you necessarily, but all of the stuff that I put into my coffee makes it bad, okay? So I, I, I would have to say that I'm trying to beat that addiction, but I do enjoy coffee, and I can go a day without it or a day or two. Um, I know that some people get those caffeine headaches when they don't have their caffeine fix, and sometimes they have a hard time getting up in the morning and working and so on, but all of those things are not necessarily going to destroy our life, but they're not what we should be uh, living on every day. Uh, it's going to catch up with us at some point, I'm sure. But, uh, but when we feast on what the world has, all of those junk food philosophies, uh, spiritual uh, ideas, maybe they might have some good-sounding uh, philosophy out there, but, uh, but compared to the Word of God, that stuff is junk food. We should not be living on all of that. Everything should be filtered through the word of God. We see that the acknowledging of the truth, Paul's goal was to not just bring people to faith in Christ, to bring them to that truth of their need of salvation, the need that they are a sinner, they need a savior, Jesus is the savior, but also that they would be rooted on the foundation of God's word, the truth, that they would acknowledge what the truth is. Uh, and then when you are rooted on, on that foundation, which the word of God is the foundation, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, when you're rooted on this truth, then you can live a godly life. You can begin to understand the difference between right and wrong according to God. What does God say is right and what does God say is wrong? What should we be following after and what should we be avoiding? We see that the knowledge of truth should lead men to a holy life and prepare them for a holy heaven. Go with me to Titus chapter number two and uh, we'll skip ahead a little bit. That's okay, right? And we'll look at a couple verses here and uh, he says here in verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness you see there in verse number one of chapter one, he says that uh, his calling was for the purpose of bringing people to faith and then for them to understand the truth and then, then for them to live godly. He says in verse number 12 of chapter two, teaching us the grace of God bringing salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. What are those worldly lusts? The things that we desire that are not right. Okay, I was talking about donuts a little bit earlier. That's, a, that's the bane of every police officer, right? Um, the uh, cheesecake that we enjoy once in a while, okay? I don't think you can eat cheesecake every day. I knew of some, or I, I, I didn't know them personally, but I heard a story about a guy that ate Big Macs every single day of his life. You wouldn't know it to look at him. He was actually a pretty skinny guy, but I don't think it really did much for him health-wise. And there's people that will, uh, there was a documentary years ago, you remember, you probably saw it, but a guy that ate McDonald's every single day for a month, but he had no options. He just ate McDonald's for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. All of that led to him having some major health issues after 30 days. And so, uh, but all of the, uh, the lusts of the world, not just food, but I thought I'd bring it up since we already talked about it, but all of the, all of the, uh, the wicked desires of our flesh, 
the uh, wrong relationships, the indulgence, uh, indulging in things that are just, uh, just not right, that we're following many times our heart rather than uh, God's word, the lust of the flesh, as John calls it. And so he says here, worldly lust, we're supposed to deny those things. We're supposed to deny ungodliness, worldly lust. And then he says, he says those two negative things, and then he says something positive. He says, we should live soberly. That means with a serious mindset, understanding that this life is going to be over before we know it, and we're going to have to give an account to a holy God for the, for the way that we lived it. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to live after godliness. The more that we know, the more we should grow. There's, it's sad that some Christians have come to church and they have a head full of knowledge. They have some scripture knowledge. Even children, I'm not just saying adults, not just saying you guys, but there's some children in, in our churches that have a head full of Bible verses. They might be going to a Christian school where they're required to memorize things or they might be a part of our patch club or an Awana program, especially Awanas or master clubs where they're just... They're just memorizing Bible verses. They have it all down. They have an understanding of the truth. They might even have a, a realization of what truth is and how it applies to their life. But until we apply those truths to our life, we're not living godly. So many people say, well, I'm spiritual because I go to church. But church is just a, a part of what we should be doing. It's only a few hours a week where we're gathered together. What are we doing the rest of the week when we're not here as an assembly? We need to be living after godliness. So the more that we know, the more we should grow because now we, we're, we're responsible for those things that we're learning. And uh, we have a, a necessity in our life to apply truth into the way we live. We need to live it out. The truth of the gospel can change a life from ungodliness to holy living. Sad to say there were people in the church there in Crete, the believers that were in Crete, that were professors of salvation, but some probably were not possessors of eternal life because their lives were not showing the work of God. They were not living out the truth that they professed to believe. They were professors of salvation, not possessors. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, if any man be in Christ, meaning that you are a true possessor of salvation, you are in Christ, you are a believer, a true believer, if you're in Christ, you should change. Old things pass away, all things are become new. There's a progression of sanctification, a living out of, uh, of spiritual truth in the life. Uh, the Bible says in Galatians chapter number five, you got the verse there uh, at the bottom of your notes, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is uh, the, the work of God in the believer's life. Those that are true possessors of salvation, meaning that they are possessed of God and they have that, uh, the promise of eternal life. They possess the promise that they will live forever in heaven with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if you have that, 
You have the Holy Spirit now. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. He is in our life. He is uh, dwelling in our spirit. We belong to God. Just like Paul said, I'm a servant of God. I'm a slave of God. I belong to him as a believer. We are his possession. And so he lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when the Lord uh, does that work in our life of salvation and the Holy Spirit is in us, the more that we yield to him and the more that we give to him uh, in our sanctification, in our growth, the more that he begins to show on the outside. Um, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is the, 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 the um, product of Spirit-filled Christian living. Godliness, truth applied in the believer's life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have the capacity to love those that do the worst to you, that do the worst things to your family, to those that you care about. You have the ability to say, as Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is a supernatural thing. It is something that nobody without the power of God in their life could do. I really believe that. You need God to love people the way that Jesus loved those that, that took his life, that he uh, gave his life up to on the cross, those that, uh, that did the worst. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. He says also, to that list we add joy. Joy. There are some Christians that never are joyful. There are some Christians that, or people that profess to be Christians that don't have uh, really any change. Before they were saved, they lived this way. After they sa were saved, they still lived the same way. There's not even a desire, a change of desire in their life. It's not even that they're trying. They're not even trying uh, at all to submit to the Lord because they have nothing on the inside, I believe. He says also that there's peace that comes into the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit begins to do a work in the area of peace where we, be, we begin to have uh, uh, peace in our life. Many are uh, at war in their spirit. Many that profess to be saved but are not possessors of salvation. They're not at peace. Long-suffering deals with patience in relation to others. Um, we need to bite our tongue. There's times where we want to say things, we just have to stop. There's times that we want to react and lash out and to uh, take vengeance on somebody. The Bible says for us to learn to be long-suffering. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, supernatural. Those that can exhibit these, uh, these fruits they are experiencing the transformation of God in their lives. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are, in, that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you believe, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to allow him to do that work in your life. Walk, submit. 
So the more that we know, the more we should grow. When the Holy Spirit of God moves in, he will show on the outside somewhere. I really believe that. Some people say, well, uh, you can be saved and not change. I don't believe that. I understand that not every Christian, every true believer changes as much as they ought to on the outside. But I believe that if you are saved, there will be some changes. It will be evident to those that are around you. It will be evident. I understand that we don't have a spiritual stethoscope where we can go up to somebody and say, oh, yeah, they definitely have, they're saved. They're definitely saved. But there are some signs, there are things on the outside that we can say, those are a sign of the Holy Spirit's work in that person's life. Think about the change that Christ made when he moved into my life. I was not, I was not very old when I got saved. I was almost five. I was like a month away from being five years of age. And um, there was an understanding in my heart that I was lost. I understood that I was a sinner. And if I ever forgot that, my dad would constantly remind me, and my mom would say, you're a sinner, Paul, and you did wrong. And I've told you the stories of, of the things that I did even as a little boy at four years of age and three years of age. I still remember some of those things. But <clears throat> I remember probably a few months before I turned five, I even told my dad, when I turn five, I'm going to be good. I understood I was a sinner. And by the way, that little story, ask my dad about it. He'll be here Thursday night. Um, and my mom will be here looking forward to them coming this week. But ask my dad. What did, what, did, uh, what did your son say before his fifth birthday? What did he say he was going to do when he turned five? And he'll say, he said he was going to be good, and I'm still waiting for him to be good. But my dad constantly reminded me, even after I turned five, uh, and six, and seven, and 10, and 15, and 35, he said, when you turned five, Paul, you said you were going to be good. But it's because I understood I was a sinner. I understood I was, I was disobedient to my parents, but I was also breaking God's law, the Ten Commandments. And there came that point of conviction where I understood because of my sin, I deserved to go to hell, and I was going to go to hell if I died in my sin. But there came a point um, that I, I turned my life to Christ, meaning I gave over to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. I made it personal. It wasn't good enough that I went to church because I went to church my whole life <laughs> at four or five years of age. You know, that was a long time. But, um, and I actually went to church nine months before I was born. So, I mean, that should count for something, right? But it didn't because it's not about going to church. Honestly, even though I was not good, you know, in my dad's eyes and my eyes, in my mom's eyes, and my sister's eyes, and my grandparents' eyes, they all, always told me, Paul, you, you're a sinner. You're not good. And I acknowledged I was not good. But relatively to a lot of people in this world, I was pretty good. I hadn't uh, robbed any banks. I wasn't in jail. I was a pretty good kid. I wasn't even uh, a very rebellious child. But I was not saved. And I was a sinner. I was born into this world, as all of us are, with a sin nature. I was wired from birth to be a sinner, or to sin, because I was a sinner. So uh, 
even at that age, I understood I needed to be saved. And there came that point where I said, Jesus, you need to save me. Please forgive me of my sins. And I received the free gift of salvation. Acknowledged my need. God came in and did a work in my life. And there was a change. It was a gradual progress and process, and it is still continuing to this day. And, uh, and I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, praise God. I'm going to be in heaven someday with that perfect body and, and uh, no more presence of sin, praise God for that. No more power. Uh, no, I have power over sin now, but praise God, there's going to be a, no need to, for me to even worry about that because I will have perfect, uh, a perfect sinless body. But there came a point where things, things did change in my life. I now had the ability to have victory. There were things that uh, I struggled with growing up, but I knew I had power over those things because of God's grace in my life, and you can too. How many of you, without raising your hands, you maybe didn't have that experience. You maybe were older when you got saved. You might have been an adult. You might have already experienced a lot of what this world had to offer, but you know probably even more intimately of how God's grace can change a person, amen? And you could sing that song, it's different now because Jesus came to save me. It's different now because he made me whole by the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? And uh, uh, it's different now. What does that godliness look like? Godliness is lived out in doing good. And essentially, it is good works, not for salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. We need to stop there for a little while, right? Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Praise God. And uh, he can do far better than anyone could imagine. He, he is going to change us in ways that we never thought we could change. We have to allow him to do the work in our life. We are his workmanship created unto good works. He has ordained us to live godly, to uh, walk in good works, amen? Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a, do you know the next two words? And I'm gonna just, Help you out. The first word is good, okay? Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is saying the day that we got saved, that was not the end, <laughs> that was the beginning of our walk, amen? Jesus saved us, praise God. Salvation, it happened once. You don't need to get saved every day. I know some people say, well, I pray every day to get saved. Well, you need to grow spiritually every day, but you don't get saved every day. It's a one-time thing. Praise God. He saved us to live out our salvation in a life of godliness, good works, that is his calling in our life. 
That's what he's telling, uh, Paul is telling uh, Timothy in this greeting. He said, this is my calling. My calling is to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and to teach them what truth is. And then for them to change and to become godly, to live out a life of holiness and good works. Amen. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, uh, we read here, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good, you know the next word, works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I wasn't gonna go here, but I was stirred to do this a little after I had written your notes out. But Matthew chapter number five, the Bible says in verse number 16, we know these uh, verses starting in verse 13 about salt and light. Jesus, uh, his sermon was uh, to preach about several things, but one of the things that he said in this sermon here is that we are to be salt and light. Salt and light. Salt preserves. Salt flavors. Salt um, uh, cleanses. I don't necessarily like putting salt in my wounds, but... You know, get a paper cut that probably uh, stings a little bit. It has an effect on us. It's uh, light. Light exposes uh, that which is wrong, but it also exposes that which is right. It sheds light on truth. It brings truth to uh, to be seen. Uh, God has called us to be salt and light. He says in verse 13, since we're here, Matthew 5, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. He's saying we need to have, we have to have an effect in this world. We can't be passive. We can't be lazy Christians. We can't be uh, disengaged from spiritual warfare and godly living. He's saying if you do that, he said, what purpose are you serving as a Christian? What is your purpose in me uh, having you here on this earth? And he says that uh, also in verse number 14, ye are the light of the world. Now, we know that Jesus is the light of the world, but we are to reflect his light. He says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. He's saying just in that fashion, just like a city on a hill, just like a, a candlestick, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this is on a, uh, a high plane so people can see. It can have a great effect. It can affect more than just you. It can affect more than just the person next to you. The purpose of being salt and light is that we would have an impact on many. He's saying there in verse number 16, let your light so shine before men. 
that they may see your, what's the next word? Good, what's the next word? Works. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The purpose of living a life of godliness is not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how good I am. Look how, look how holy and dignified and pious I am. Look how, uh, look, look how much better I am than you. Good night. That person is not godly, that's for sure. If they're thinking that, right? That's pride. It needs to be rooted out and dealt with. That's unholy. That is not God. God hates pride. That's listed in Proverbs chapter 6 of things that he hates. He hates pride. Uh, the Bible says that pride cometh before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Have you ever noticed somebody, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, probably all of us have, if we'd be honest, but you, um, you said something or did something, and you got uh, filled with pride, and you got uh, filled with self-righteousness, and uh, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you had a great fall, right? Like Humpty Dumpty, and uh, you thought, man, I'm, I'm just so right on this, and uh, I, I'm better than everyone else, and I know better, and then all of a sudden, it was like, oh yeah, I was wrong, <laughs> and you had to swallow your pride, right? And you've gone through that experience, but that is what the Bible says. Pride cometh before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so godliness is not a holier-than-thou attitude. It is not being better than somebody else. It is not being self-righteous. It is being filled with God's Holy Spirit working through us. We're exhibiting that fruit, love. If you're not filled with love, then, uh, I question godliness because God is love, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance or self-control. That is godliness, not what s some people think godliness is. Uh, you know, sitting quietly in church listening to an organ playing. That is not godliness, okay, necessarily. <laughs> and uh, sometimes our definitions of these terms and these words are so wrong. Godliness, good works in the life of a Christian. Um, I have a list of things there for you, uh, but th this is definitely not an exhaustive. There are things that I, I'm missing off of this list already, I know. But we should go to church. We need to be at church. How can you uh, exhort one another? How, you, how can you uh, consider one another to provoke unto love and good works if you're not in church? Be at the church. Assemble is really what I'm saying. It's not about the building necessarily, but where we're with our local assembly. Grow. Grow. Have an intentional walk with the Lord. And I thought about gratefulness. So remember what the Lord has done for you. Be grateful. Be grateful. The Bible says, be grateful unto him. Remember where you came from and where you are going. Uh, some of you maybe grew up in a home. Hopefully it was a good experience, but where your parents said, remember who you are. Remember your last name. Maybe that was a little bit of pride, but, you know, maybe you had a parent that said, don't forget, you represent our home, our family, and we want to have a good reputation, Right? But remember where you came from. We are, we are wretches. But Jesus saved us. He made a change in our life. 
and remember where you're going. I am a uh, joint heir with Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. I represent God's family on this earth. I represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who you, where you came from. Not very glamorous at all, but remember where you are going and who you represent. Discipline your life spiritually. Uh, we need to be disciplined Christians. Don't let things happen to you. Live your Christian life with purpose. Uh, proactive in your walk spiritually. Don't just wait for... Uh, Someone to address things in your life Be asking the Lord What is it that I, I need to do Lord help me to grow Help me to make some changes Help me to honor you and please you in my life Pray for one another So important Lift up people in prayer Lift up your church family um, Pray for their, their needs So many times we're focused on our needs That's why we're, we're not grateful we're focused on what we don't have rather than what Jesus has done. Focus on, the, on what God has done for you, but then also, what is a need in somebody else's life? By the way, if we're seeking to meet one another's needs, guess what? At some point, there will be no needs because I believe that God brought the church and these people that are here in this body of believers, he brought all of us together so that we could effectively meet one another's needs. And it can work, and it should work, but sometimes it doesn't because we're so self-focused. Minister one to another. Uh, minister to the church family. Minister with the church family. Of course, uh, we need to be out evangelizing, but also there's times where we can reach into the community. Uh, I'm excited about some of the things that our church is doing with the food pantry, through the, uh, the homeless care kits, all of those things. Meeting some of the uh, humanitarian needs of our community. Sometimes people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so uh, showing the love of Christ through meeting physical needs can many times give us the platform and the opportunity to preach the gospel. Don't ever, by the way, don't ever focus all on humanitarian needs. That is not the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves because our goal is not to make this a better world to go to hell from. It is to bring people to the knowledge of their need. But sometimes we can't do that until we show them that we can meet some physical needs and we, want, we love them, we care about them enough to do that. And I believe that God honors that. Uh, we, we should be willing to give that cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. And so God has called us to be, just like Paul, I believe, to be uh, a child of God, but also a servant of God, as well as that ambassador or messenger of God to bring people to Christ, to establish them on the rock and foundation of truth, the word of God, the, the church is called the pillar and ground of the truth. We are to, uh, to help people get rooted onto the foundation. And then for us to provoke one another to love and to good works, to godliness. I'm so discouraged at times when I see what's going on in some of our churches where it is not, there's, no, there's no godliness in those churches. And of, of course, we've got to be careful to not become judgmental of one another. There's a lot of good things, I'm sure, that goes on. Sometimes the gospel is being preached. Sometimes people are growing spiritually. But my friend, I'm not going to focus on them. I want to look at our church. I want to look at us. What are we doing? Are we growing the way we ought to grow? 
Sometimes in our little Baptist circles, we can, we can have all of the I's dotted and the T's crossed and everything looks good on the outside, but sometimes we're kind of like a Pharisee. We have that whited sepulcher, as Jesus said. We have a, a whited tomb, a painted, oh, it looks beautiful on the outside, but a tomb could look beautiful, right? And uh, sometimes we go to uh, cemeteries. I've been to many of them more than I wish I had, but sometimes we go there for funerals, and you look around at all of these ornate uh, places, the little uh, tombs, but if you go to Forest Home Cemetery, they've got these huge uh, obelisks and uh, little places where, um, you know, they're just super ornate. Probably cost thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's amazing what people spent their money on and uh, to just have a place to be buried. But Jesus said it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside. If you're, if you're a tomb, I, that's not some place I want to hang out, right? And uh, the inside of, of those Pharisees was death. He said you had no substance spiritually. You were, you were a hypocrite. You are shallow and sad to say some of our good churches, so to speak. Baptist churches, they're preaching the truth. I think that they're bringing people to Christ, but sometimes we have all of, all of the uh, outside taken care of, but inside we have unforgiveness. We have hatred towards one another. We have gossip. We have envy. We have covetousness. We have unforgiveness. We have uh, deceit and lying. And all of those things that are a big problem. The Pharisees, they would tithe and they would do all of these things. They, they had it all down outwardly. But Jesus said, you haven't taken care of some of the more important things. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? Good works, good works, outward things start from a heart that's right with the Lord or should start from a heart that's right with the Lord. If your heart's right with the Lord, good works are natural. They flow. We do it naturally. If you're having to uh, push yourself, consider maybe I need to spend some more time with God. Maybe I need to confess some things. There's probably some areas that I'm just, I, I, I'm just putting on this show. I remember, and I'm going to close with this because it's late, but I remember when I was in Bible college, we had a bus captain. Actually, I didn't work for this particular bus captain, but I was there when he said this. He said that Sunday morning when the buses went out to go into Gary, uh, Indiana to reach all of those families, uh, 600 plus people came every Sunday from just Gary alone. That wasn't the only place they went, but 600 children, parents, came from the little town of, or city of Gary. One of the, probably one of the roughest places in America, to be honest with you. How many have ever been to Gary? Willing to, you made it out alive somehow. But um, was the murder capital of the world some, at some point in the 90s. Gary, Indiana. Not much left there, honestly. But he would go out, they, they'd run, run these buses into the city of Gary. But this bus captain in particular, he said, if you have a, if your spirit is not right, if there's some unconfessed, if there's something you're dealing with in your life, he said, I'm not going to judge you, but I'd rather you not come on the bus. I'd rather you stay back and pray. 
Get those things right with the Lord and pray for us as we go out. Because I don't, he said, I don't want somebody on the bus who's just gonna be a worker, but is not gonna have things right. Because that's gonna hinder us. It's gonna hinder the spirit. It's gonna hurt what we're trying to do for the Lord. And I thought that was wise. Because Many times we think, well, if, if I don't do something, if I don't minister, the, the, the work of God is going to uh, implode. God's not going to be able to do his work without me. So I guess I just got to go out and I got to work. I can't remember who it was, and I, I, I wish I, I remember. I just heard the quote. I thought it was Martin Luther. I'm not 100% sure who it was. But they said, with all the things that I have to do today, Instead of praying an hour like I normally do, I'm going to stop and pray two hours. As busy as we are, sometimes we think, well, I just got to gotta trim and cut some of the things that are not as important. It's a, it's a revelation. It should be a revelation as to what we deem is important and not important. And many times we find out what that is based on what we don't do, what we cut. God doesn't work the same way that many times we think. We think, do more, work harder. God says, be right. Be right. We're expendable. He doesn't need us, but praise God, he chooses to use us. But he wants that clean vessel. May that be who we are today, like Paul. He definitely wasn't perfect, because he was a sinner like all of us. But he was yielded to the Lord. Praise God for that. His passion, his ministry. Father, Lord, I do pray that you bless this day. Help us, Lord, to to submit to you. We thank you for good examples like Paul. He understood what you had called him to do. And he was willing to do it. But God, I pray that you would help us today to stop waiting for somebody else to do right, but for us to take that first step to allow you to do that work in our life. We live the right way and live godly. We take those first steps, then I know, Lord, that you will begin to do a work in other people's lives. Help us to be the catalyst for revival starts with just a few sometimes. A few people that are willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. To say, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be given over to the Lord. We thank you for saving us. Praise God. We have that home in heaven. But Lord, help us to, to go beyond even our salvation, but to move towards that sanctification, to not plateau. Sometimes we get to a plateau. We get to a place where it's hard to get to that next step. But Lord, help us to keep moving. Help us to keep moving. Stir our hearts. Continue doing that work in our, in our midst here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing to our feet. As-